This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Dude, he's a Hufflepuff, dude. I might be a Hufflepuff. You're not a Hufflepuff. Hello, and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season four, episode 22 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Restless. As well as Gilmore Girls, Raincoats, and Recipes. Oh, boy. Wow. I mean, I feel like... There's so much in both these episodes that make me want to watch the next season of both shows. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah, let's just do this later. Let's just watch the shows. No, 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 no. The people want to know what we think. All right. They don't want to not have a podcast. (laughs) We could tell them about other things we watched. We're watching the Mighty Ducks TV show. I don't really understand how this started. We don't know why, but we're we're deep in. We're going to finish it. I'm not saying it's a good show. I'm not even saying that. It just sort of like one night we were like tired and it, we just sort of played it and then we just didn't stop. It was too late to watch Encanto. Yeah. So we started a Mighty Ducks and we just haven't stopped. Yeah. If you're not familiar, it features Lorelai. Yeah. Lauren Graham. Mm-hmm. She's delightful. It's, it's, it's not bad. It's not good. It's very... Cheesy Super and like cheesy. predictable, but it's nice. Yeah. It's nice to know that probably everyone's going to be okay in the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for the villains, who are clearly villains. Yeah, I know. I keep being like, I want this guy to die, but he's not going to die. He's yeah, it'll be a maybe dark turn win. for the Mighty Ducks Disney TV show. But if you're a fan of the original, I wouldn't not recommend it. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not saying this is anything like Buffy or uh, Gilmore Girls. It's just kind of weird that we're still watching it. There is a Christopher. Oh, Raised by Wolves is on tonight. Oh, right. Do you want to just do that instead? Yeah. Goodbye, guys. Also, season four of Miss Maisel comes out tomorrow. Mm. This is really placing us in time, which we don't normally do. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. Now you know. Today is February 17th. Even though this doesn't come out until March 8th, that's how ahead we are. Because we binged the last bit of season four. You have to, man. Both shows. You have to. Okay. Let's tell them about the wine. We just got a new shipment. I'm excited mm-hmm. to try those. Mm-hmm. This, of course, is wank.com, who we're partnered with. And through our partnership with Wink, you can get four bottles of wine for yourself for just $29.95 plus free shipping. They ask you a bunch of questions about food you like. And from that, they can sort of like analyze what your palate is like and they can choose wines for you. Yeah. That they think will work for you. You can also choose your own. I do that sometimes because we have our favorites now. Right. Once you've like decided you like some of these wines, it's like, why not keep getting it? And we've had a couple real tasty ones from them. And you can take advantage of this by clicking on the link in our episode description. And be sure to use promo code Gilmore Slayer when you check out. Let them know who sent you. That sounds so like we're gangsters or something. <laughs> you tell them tell Brian, Brian Stacy sent you. See, yeah, I guess I didn't include you when no. I told them. Yeah, that was mean to me. Well, they don't take women seriously. <laughs> These gangsters, or <laughs> it sounded like I meant our audience, but oh, I I, th- I was afraid that Wink was going to be sending us an email like we heard on your podcast <laughs> that you said we don't take women seriously. <laughs> It, yeah, everyone I know takes women seriously. I, hope. I don't know if that's true. Everyone you know? Probably not. You know our super doesn't. <laughs> we do. We do know that. Anyway, uh, we also got a new five-star review. Two. Two five-star reviews. Thank you so much to Brandon T. Fields and to Perfecto, all the way from Turkey. Thank you, guys. 
All right, Brian, should we get into this harrowing journey of talking about these two gigantic season finales? Oh, yeah, these are big. Well, this week we started with Buffy. Stacy, please tell us all about Restless. So this episode is about Buffy and her friends just having a, a chill night in after their big Adam beaten, and it doesn't go quite as planned. They all have very bizarre dreams that are maybe prophetic and they deal with some of the consequences of the spell they did to defeat Adam. Yeah. It's complicated. It's weird. It's a weird one, but it's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's really weird because this is like sort of the opposite of most Buffy season finales. Like the last episode would have been what season three or season two or season one would have called their season finale. Sure. This one's just like, oh, no, that was last week. Now we're just having a movie night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's like, what? But we, the big bad's dead? What's happening? And I feel like this episode's going to be super weird to talk about, like explaining your own dreams to someone. Yeah. <laughs> and then they were in the hallway. What? Yeah. Uh, I'll do my best. Maybe after every dream, we can take a little break and discuss what it meant. We should say, too, that this is an episode about dreams. And I know there's been, like, essays written about what these dreams mean. We're just going to tell you what they meant to us. Like, what we thought when we saw them, you know, I'm sure if I, like, took a course on dreams, I could tell you more. But, I mean, this is just, we're going to tell you what we saw. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, the gang, Sans Partners, is all at Buffy's house for a relaxing little movie night. Well, Riley is briefly there before heading off to get debriefed. He went from being an anarchist to confident he'll be honorably discharged due to his saving a bunch of people and having a bunch of dirty secrets on the government now. Right. So, Riley leaves. Joyce is pissed at Buffy for this being the first time she's meeting Riley. Joyce also can't believe they're not tired. They're like, nah, we're just like all so wired from that spell we did. So Joyce is going to head upstairs and leave them to their movies. They have a big bowl of popcorn and Joyce takes her own little bowl of popcorn upstairs, which Giles just like grabs a handful from. <laughs> so weird. It's almost like the actor was like, oh, yeah, we were supposed to eat popcorn and like didn't think about the fact that he should eat from the shared bowl and not like right. the two kernels Joyce was going to eat alone upstairs. <laughs> yeah. I also think it's so weird that Joyce is like, well, I'm out of here. I don't yeah. know. I'd be like, do you want to sit down and talk to them? I mean, I guess we're to believe she's already talk to them about it. I don't yeah. Know. They're apparently fine now. All their sexual tensions gone. Their sexual tensions gone? Yeah, they always, they weren't comfortable after a band Oh, Giles and Joyce? Yes. Who did you think I, I meant? Joyce well, and Buffy? you just said they, and I'm like, the whole gang? Like, no, 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 no. Giles and... Because we'll find out there apparently is sexual tension between everybody. Um, yes. As far as one character sees it. But I, I did wonder if she did feel uncomfortable around Giles still, and that's sort of why she's not staying down there. Well, he feels comfortable enough to reach over her shoulder and grab popcorn from her bowl. No consent. They start the marathon by watching Apocalypse Now and just immediately all fall asleep. Then we zoom into Willow's dreams. She's with Tara in Tara's room, painting letters or symbols on Tara's back. I've read that this is like a Greek poem. Yeah, it's a Greek poem from a... A female poet from Lesbos. Right. I haven't read too much because I don't want spoilers, but that was one thing I discovered. Tara's stressed that they haven't decided on a name for the cat yet and tells Willow that she doesn't know everything about her. Like, that Willow doesn't know everything about Tara. And it's true. There are some unanswered things about Tara. Like, that time they were doing a spell and she just, like, threw her spell dust under the bed. Did you get this, like, sort of a pun here? Um, I don't remember specifically what you mean. Well, because, like, she's writing in Greek on her back. And she's just like, you don't know everything about me. Like, oh, we don't know everything about your backstory. Oh, no. Was that intentional? I don't know. <laughs> I might have just made that up, but it sounds like that's, I don't know, to me, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, maybe. 
But we, we haven't addressed the Terra hid the dust that one time. Right. It almost seemed like a draft offer, but this episode's sort of like, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. But Willow, at this moment, is more stressed about getting all her homework done for drama class. Willow says she doesn't want to leave because it's so bright outside and there's something out there. And she opens the curtains and out there is like a desert with some sort of creature looming. And then Willow's suddenly on her way to drama class in the college hallways, but it's like sort of a weird mashup of high school. Like there's lockers and Oz and Xander are there. And Xander's like, what you been up to? Doing spells? And he tells Oz that she does spells with Tara. And Oz is like, oh yeah, I heard about that. The bell rings. Willow's heads off to class, grabbing nothing from her locker. She exits the dream, and Xander says, sometimes I think about two women doing a spell, and then I do a spell by myself. This seemed unnecessary. (laughs) This is Willow's dream. Did she dream him saying that line, even though she wasn't in the scene anymore? Part of me, though, she knows Xander. That sounds like something Xander would say. Right, but I'm trying to think if dreams work that way. Like, if I'm having a dream, I mean, like, I'm in every scene. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I feel like I've viewed people. I don't know if it always makes sense. I felt the joke was a little dumb, but. Yeah, I don't know. You're mad at him and her dream for taking up some time? Yeah, he's got his own whole fucking dream to objectify women. That's true. So it turns out drama class is a full-on production of Death of a Salesman that everyone who's ever been on the show is part of. I don't know much about Death of a Salesman, but I looked it up and it seems like a pretty apt choice. Do you know much about it? No, I don't really. It's about a salesman who's maybe slowly going senile. And I guess it's told through like a montage of memories, dreams, and arguments, which is kind of what this entire episode is. Mm. No one is really dressed for the same play. Buffy's dressed as like a character from Chicago. And she tells Willow that her costume is perfect, which is just Willow's regular clothes. And she says that no one's going to know the truth about her if she's wearing that costume. Riley's very pumped to be cowboy guy. Harmony's there, dressed as like a sexy milkmaid. She is a vampire, though. And Giles is the director, just like in Puppet Show. He's like giving a a little pep talk backstage. Yeah. Harmony keeps trying to bite him the whole time. He's like, stop that. It's very annoying. It's super funny. This is so weird to talk about because none of this makes sense. I know. It's... I feel like I'm telling you about my dream. And then, and but but she was a, and they were actually. Giles is struggling to remember the word props, which Harmony gives him. He's like, no. And then Riley's like, props. Giles is like, yes. It's very funny. I wondered if this was like a gender role thing. Harmony tells him the word he's looking for and he rejects it. But once like a man says it, he's like, yep, that's the word. So you're saying Giles doesn't respect women? No, but I think, I don't think, this isn't actually Giles in Willow's head. You think Willow thinks Giles doesn't respect women? No, but I mean, you can have people say stuff in dreams that's incongruent with their real counterpart. They might just be like symbolizing a feeling you have about society or an experience you had. Yeah. And also like when they're on the stage, like Riley is like such like a masculine cowboy and he's asking to touch her like milk jugs, which are clearly supposed to be like breasts. Yeah. And then we have Buffy talking about like the male sex yeah, in the play. So I wondered if it wasn't like this. I don't know if this has something to do with gender roles or something. Let us know what you think. I don't have a conclusion of what the message would be. But that idea of a woman bringing up a concept like in a group setting and like it not being acknowledged until a man says the same concept. That's what that made me think of. Yeah, and I could see Willow having those feelings. Anyway, Giles says that everyone who Willow has ever met is in the audience. so They have to be perfect. That was so funny, though. Yeah. <laughs> And Buffy had said that her whole family's in the front row and they look really angry. Yeah, all of this is hilarious. You may remember, too, that Willow does not like performing. 
Right. In nightmares, like her big nightmare was to perform on stage and not know the words. And this is exactly what's happening again. She's like, I don't even know what play we're doing. They're like, get on stage. In real life, she was talking about taking drama class. I don't know why she even would take drama. Unless it's like to get out of her comfort zone. Yeah, I wondered if this show wasn't telling us that she was becoming more confident with Tara that she might do that. I don't know. Giles also said that acting is about hiding and the audience wants to find you, strip you naked and eat you alive. (laughs) And it's heavily implied Willow has a history of stepping on everyone's cues. Giles also is like very different. He's like very happy. Not that he's a negative man, but he kind of is. Willow's just very confused. The figure from the desert is still kind of looming. No one seems to notice except her. And then this older man with glasses lets her know he's made a little space for the cheese slices. The cheese man. Yeah, the cheese man, you know, from all dreams. And Willow's kind of just like, fuck this play, and goes wandering around backstage, where she comes across Tara, who agrees things aren't going very well. We have to acknowledge that it looks like this is like a metaphor for a vagina, right? She's like in this red tunnel that's like red sheets. I mean, that's something you observed? Separate from me? I mean, I feel like it's very obvious. I don't know. I, I hadn't thought that. It's it's a backstage. So that's what it looks like. Well, maybe I'm wrong. What do you guys think? <laughs> Tara goes on to say that people are starting to wonder about Willow. And if they find out, they'll punish her. Willow's pretty sure something's following her. And Tara's like, yep, by the way, the play started. And then we see a little of the play. Again, not sure if it makes sense that we see the actual play since Willow's not seeing it. But right. the play itself is nonsense. Everyone seems to be on a different page. Then Tara's gone, and something is after Willow. Some unseen scary thing with a knife poking around through the vagina lips. (laughs) But then Buffy, out of her costume, comes and rescues Willow and takes her into an empty classroom, which seems like the high school. Buffy's like, you must have done something if that thing's after you. And Willow's like, no, I'm very seldom naughty. Buffy lets her know the play's over and wonders why she's still in her costume. And Willow's like, again, this isn't a costume. But Buffy tells her everybody already knows and then just rips her clothes off. But she's not naked. She's transformed back into like a high school outfit. I think it's like the same outfit from like season one that she wears like in the first couple episodes. Yeah. And and she's got her long hair again. Now the class is full. When they got there, it was empty. Anya, Oz, Harmony, all there. Harmony has this very specific hairdo that I used to do all the time around this period in history. It's like separating your hair into chunks and making a little web on the top of your head. Mm Mm-hmm. They're all laughing at Willow. She's up in the front of the room reading her book report. And Anya says this is like a Greek tragedy, again with the Greek stuff. And Oz tells Tara he tried to warn her. They're almost like flirty. I mean, they, they are. They're being and super flirty. flirty. And then Willow starts reading her report on the lion, witch, in the wardrobe, which she says has many themes, which is interesting. But it's, it's very boring to the class. Xander hates it. And then the creature attacks Willow, knocks her over. She's struggling. No one in class really seems to care. Kind of seems like it's... Sucking out her soul. And then we see Willow on the couch in Buffy's living room, kind of choking. That's that's Willow's dream. Yeah. Is there anything you want to go over? Take a little break here? Sure. I mean, uh, I've, you want to say what your feelings are, what you think, what it was about, or I can just say what I feel? Well, I, I think it's clearly about her worrying about her sexuality being discovered. Even though her, her friends know. I don't think it is about her sexuality. I think it's about, it's all about her identity. I feel like it's like heavy imposter syndrome. Can't it be both? Sure, but I, her friends already know about her sexuality. So like, I feel like what is there to be scared of people learning about that? Because she's kind of just like struggling with who she is in general. Sure. I think it's something to do with like people aren't going to love her. Or, or if people really knew her, they wouldn't want to love her. Because like we see in the classroom like Oz and Tara and Xander like not giving a shit about her when, when she's in her original outfit. Yeah. And 
Oz has already abandoned her, and Xander originally like didn't want anything to do with her when she was in love with him. And like here is Tara now, you know, in this scene, like once she sees who she is, she's like flirting with Oz. She like doesn't want to be with her. Like Oz is essentially telling Tara, like, I told you in real life, she's not the woman you think she is. She's this little mousy girl. Sure. And so I think she's afraid of that because her her identity right now is this like, I, I feel like the title of the book, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is important. Why is that? Lion, I'm guessing, is just the fucking cat. I don't know. But like Witch and Wardrobe, like she takes her clothes off her like college kind of getting cooler clothes you don't have your witchy stuff anymore you don't have your college stuff anymore you're just this thing and without it you're, you're nothing a little bit of it's sexuality because that's part of her identity but i think she's like embrace that a bit now yeah it, but she's like worried about like you know who she is and whether or not other people are going to accept who she is or believe that that's who she is because maybe she's not this like cool lesbian witch she's just the same mousy girl she was before I feel like sexuality was part of it, but... Um, yeah, for sure. But it's just that she's already told all her friends about her sexuality, so I just don't feel like she's still worried about that. I don't, it's maybe hard to say, because like, they reacted weirdly to it, and she had to talk with Buffy about it, but she hasn't really talked to anyone else about it yet. Yeah, that's true. Well, Willow's gasping, jolts Xander awake. Giles and Buffy are also awake, watching the movie. Giles mentions that the movie isn't good, but he's starting to understand that it's about the journey. Buffy offers Xander some new car smell flavored popcorn, which I thought was maybe just a joke. But I guess now knowing that this is not reality, all of this is actually part of Xander's dream, that it's maybe not a joke and just some dream nonsense. Yeah, I thought that was letting us know that Xander's still in a dream. Because it could just be a joke. She offers him popcorn and he's like, butter flavored? Or she's like, no, new car smell. Like, right. obviously it's butter. You but made the Willow's popcorn. Willow's also dying right next to them, so I feel like those two together let you know it's still a dream. Exactly. I think Willow dying next to them solidifies it. She's just, like, gagging in her sleep, and none of them care, and Buffy just says she's a big faker. Yeah. So Xander goes upstairs to pee, where a very sensual Joyce has finished her popcorn and has gotten horny. <laughs> she just wants to let Xander know that everybody left. Xander tells her he's a conquistador and a comfortador. There's this whole back and forth about whether it's more about conquest or comfort for him. Joyce says she knows the difference because she's learned about boys. <laughs> and he says, that's cool about you. <laughs> <laughs> she offers her bed for him to rest in. And he's like, yeah, I'd like you <laughs> instead of I'd like to. But he's going to go to the bathroom first. In the bathroom is the whole damn initiative watching him taking notes. He's like, all right, cool. Going to go pee somewhere else. So he goes back in the hallway, goes through another door, and is suddenly in his basement, where at the top of the steps, someone is wiggling the doorknob trying to get in. Suddenly he's outside on like a playground in the daytime. Buffy's playing in the sand. Giles and Spike are dressed pretty much identically, just gleefully swinging on the swings. Giles says Spike is like a son to him. And Spike says that Giles is going to teach him to be a watcher and says he's got the stuff. Yeah. It's very cute. Xander's like, cool. I was into that for a while. Now I'm an ice cream man. And he says that you got to have something and always be moving forward. Okay, so I want to stop you just to say that this like weirdo scene mm -hmm. is like somebody later on in the show, there's a specific episode that this scene is, it, I, I can't go into details, but they were like, cool, let's do something with this scene as if this was somehow prophetic for like one episode. It's like weird. It's super, re-watching this episode, I was like, wait, what? What? Is it about sharks? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I stumbled across something about sharks. I didn't read anything about it, though. Okay, but it's not just that, but that is part of it. Okay, because there's a line, I think Buffy says, like a shark. They all have a conversation about sharks, like land or the sharks have feet. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. They all have something to say about the shark metaphor. 
And then Xander asks Buffy if she's sure she wants to play in the sand because it's a pretty big sandbox. She's like, I'm cool. It's not coming for me yet. He's like, well, you can't protect yourself from some stuff. And she says, I'm way ahead of you, big brother. Important music. Giles and Spike are swinging higher than ever. Giles says, come on, put your back into it. A watcher <laughs> scoffs at gravity. <laughs> Ice cream man Xander is watching all of this, and the dream morphs into Xander driving the ice cream truck with Anya. She asks if he knows where he's going. She says she's been thinking about getting back into vengeance, and she thinks it's going to be a very big year for vengeance. That seems important. Xander tries to discourage her from this because people can't just do whatever they want. And then Willow and Tara are in the back of the truck making all kinds of sexy giggles. And Xander's like, do you mind? I'm talking to my demon. They're both dressed as sexy as the WB would let them dress. Yeah. <laughs> Acting as sexy as the WB would let them act. Yeah. They're just like touching each other a little bit. Just like a little bit. Yeah. Like Tara has her leg up and Willow's just like touching her thigh a little. They're also dressed in black and white, which I think is supposed to be like kind of some yin yang symbolism. But I'm not quite sure what mm. that all means. They apologize for being so distracting. They just think Xander's so interesting. <laughs> He's like, yep, I'm going places. Willow says, I'm way ahead of you, as she touches Tara's thigh. And then Willow's like, watch this. And they kiss for like a while, but they do not show it. We just see Xander's face watching them and hear it. I, I wonder if they couldn't show it. Yeah, I know, right? It's bizarre. Yeah, it's really bizarre that they cut away. I don't know, maybe... Because it was going to be so, like, such a sexy kiss. Like, maybe they could have shown, like, a light kiss. Right. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, it's crazy because nowadays we would just see them kiss. Right. But early 2000s, it was still too taboo. Yeah, unlike free TV at this time, I yeah, maybe they couldn't have. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. So Xander's staring at them. Definitely not at all at the road, which is clearly fake. The road is, like, intentionally fake looking. Like, they're clearly yeah. in a studio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I th yeah, like you said, I think it's intentional. Tara's like, do you want to come in the back with us? And Ani's like, go. I figured out how to steer by gesturing emphatically. <laughs> so Xander goes to the back and Anya just like pantomimes driving. But by the time he gets back there, it's just his basement again. Creepy things still rattling at the door. And the cheese man is there with a whole tray of cheese slices. <laughs> and he tells Xander that the cheese won't protect him. The creature breaks in the door, but Xander goes out a different way into a dimly lit school hallway. A greenly lit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird lighting. Giles is there eating an apple, and Xander asks him what's after him. Giles tells him it's because of what they did, and that the others may have gone on ahead, but to listen very carefully, his life may depend on what he's about to tell him. And then the episode is suddenly dubbed in French. Like, yep. it's not even Giles is speaking French. Giles is mouthing English, you can tell, but like... I almost wondered if it's not the real French dubbers. That really uh, dubbed the show? Yeah, assuming Buffy airs in France. Right. Do you think this, I mean, I'm interrupting here, but do you think this means like Xander sometimes is dumb and doesn't understand what people are talking about? Yeah, I think so. Because this goes on for a bit. Anya is here now too. Both her and Giles are desperately trying to tell him something he just can't understand. And then he's kind of picked up by an initiative guy and they lead him off into the Apocalypse Now movie. Yeah, this is like almost shot for shot a scene from that movie. Specifically to Principal Snyder, who's yep. laying on a bed. Doing a Marlon Brando impression. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know the movie, so this didn't mean much to me as far as that goes. But he asks him where he's from and a bunch of other stuff about him. And he tells him his friends smell like dead flowers and that the hope for our nation's future is a bunch of mulch. And Xander's like, you know, I never got to tell you how glad I was you were eaten by a snake. <laughs> <laughs> Snyder's very sweaty, puts some water on his head. 
He asks where Xander's heading. He's like, well, I'm supposed to meet Taryn Willow and possibly Buffy's mom. That was funny. And he's like, well, you're running out of time. And then he says, yeah, there's something I can't fight. And then Snyder tells him he's not a soldier or a comfortador. He's a whipping boy raised by mongrels and set on a sacrificial stone. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, that's a very specific sentence. But maybe that's just from the movie or something? Yeah, maybe. I don't remember. Xander's like, cool, I'm getting a cramp. And just like gets up and leaves. And now he's in Giles' courtyard. The creature's after him. He goes into Giles' house where the gang's trying to figure out how to beat this thing. Goes down some hallway, eventually back into his basement, where the creature finally breaks open the door, but the creature is now just his dad saying all kinds of stuff, like his mom's crying her guts out. And then he says, the line ends here with us, and you don't have the heart to change that. Then he morphs into the creature and rips Xander's heart out. (sighs) So Xander's dream, I think, is just him trying to figure out his path. His is very meandering, actually. He maybe goes more places than Willow did. Yeah. Maybe that's intentional. Yeah, I think so. Because he's not really sure what he's doing, but he he seems to understand he needs to be doing something. Yeah. It's clearly some kind of big brother thing happening with Buffy. Like he he sees her as a sister because he didn't sexualize her, even though he sexualized everyone else. And actually not Anya, but... Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Yeah, go ahead. I'll chime in if I have something, but those are my initial thoughts. My thoughts are... So this whole dream is about him afraid of becoming his dad. Mm. His dad, by the way, is in Orange is the New Black. Oh, yeah? You can't really see him, but I looked him up. It's been mentioned several times that his parents suck. Like, he was sleeping outside, remember, during amends? Yeah. Like, it's it's not good. And he's just, like, a d- desperately afraid of becoming his dad. So I think he's, like, running away from that, like, possible future. But he can't seem but to he get away from it. He keeps coming back and being like, oh, this is where I'm headed. And I think a couple, I mean, there's a lot of symbolism in it. So it's very sexual, but I think that's just who Xander is. Like, it's in his head. He's young. Yeah, that's going to pop in there. And, and honestly, as much of in the show as Xander sometimes is like eye rolly, it's like this is his head where he probably a lot of sexual thoughts would be. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of like themes. Like one is that his friends are always ahead of him. Like, Joyce tells him that, like, oh, they yeah. already left. I noticed that, too. He can never catch up to them. And then, like, right when he's, like, going to get information, he can't get it because he's either too stupid or they're talking over him. And so he's just, like, never – and he's constantly trying to to make this happen. And, and I think the father thing is also added to when he's – Giles says, like, oh, Spike's like a son to me. And Xander's like, yeah, I used to be into that. Meaning, like, maybe he used to try to be, you know, get his dad's approval and attention, but, like, that's not who he is anymore. Mm-hmm. And instead, he's, like, trying to, like, make himself important by, like, all these different jobs, but they suck. And like, when he's in that car, I think he, like, realizes, like, yeah, this is my life and it sucks. Like, this is what I made for myself. In the ice cream truck? Yeah. And I think that sex is, like, a means of escape from this, like, mundane, shitty world that he lives in. This is, like, his identity of, like, just a shitty dude. Uh, and I mean, just like low status guy, like uh, he doesn't sexualize Anya and he doesn't sexualize Buffy. I don't think he sexualizes Anya because she is part of his life. So she's not a sexual escape from his life because mm-hmm. she's part of it. What about the whole initiative watching him pee? I think that was like a sexual thing, like like a what do you call it? Uh, like he's about he's maybe going to have sex with Joyce, but then he's like an inadequacy thing because they're all like essentially going to see his penis. Yeah. And I think it's part of this, like, I don't even measure up sexually to other men. But Buffy, I think, she's the one that says Big Brother first. And he's sort of like, Big Brother. Yeah, that felt very, like, poignant. I think that's him, like, realizing that, like, Buffy does not see him that way. And he's like, it's not going to happen. 
And I wonder, I don't know, it might have had some other significance, but she's sort of like in a box, like a, not a box, but like a a sandbox Mm -hmm. with like very clear borders. And part of me is like, is that like him saying like, she's off limits to me? Like, I can't get in there. I can't get to her. And like, this is her just like confirming his, his subconscious telling him like, she does not see you that way. She will never see you that way. But he was also very protective of her in the moment, too. He was like, I can't protect you from things. You can't protect yourself from from things, always, is what he said. Almost right, Absolutely. Like, I think he loves her. He does want to protect her. Mm-hmm. But, like, that line from her was just, like, letting him know, like, I'm not that sexual escape that you're seeking. Do you have any thoughts on Snyder? No, I don't. Other than he was, like, a person who had power over him at some point. Wasn't there something he told Snyder he was going to do to him someday or something? Yeah, he, oh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said to Snyder at some point that he was, like, going to tell him how he felt one day, and he never did, but now he does. <laughs> he gets to tell him in his dream. Yeah, that might have been why they did that. I don't know. I wonder if, I, this is, I, I just saw this now, if Snyder isn't, like, something he's afraid of becoming. Because Snyder was just, like, this loser. Yeah. With, like, grasping at whatever little bitty baby power he had, you know? Like, Puffy makes this thing of saying, like, you never once had a date in college or high school. And he's like, what? And that's just, like, maybe Xander's, like, afraid he's going to be something like that, too. I think that is interesting what you said, though, about him being afraid he's going to end up like his dad. Because he does keep ending up in the basement. And I don't know that any of the other dreams really keep ending up in the same place like that. They either don't travel as much or they're not quite as meandery. Right. Okay. So I think that's generally what... Xander's means and he's like I gotta keep moving because he's just like I'm falling behind all my friends are moving on I'm yeah. not now guys uh, I've seen this episode uh, a couple times probably I think I've seen it twice before we rewatched it and then I just rewatched some stuff so if it seems like I have a lot to say about this it's just I have seen it more than Stacy so it's it not because just... he doesn't respect women no I don't respect Stacy but that's not just a <laughs> gender thing it's just her uh <laughs> Yeah, you're also processing this through the lens of having seen the whole show. Right, absolutely. And like where these characters go from here. Because a lot of this is prophetic too, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, the most prophetic parts are from Buffy, but we can't, we'll, we'll get there. But this weird Xander part is just, honestly, it's like someone was like, let's make this seem prophetic. I have an idea for an episode. <laughs> is it in season five? No, it's not. Okay. Well, after the commercial, we see Giles' dream. It starts with him hypnotizing Buffy with a pocket watch in a mostly empty Giles apartment. Then they're at a carnival. Buffy's acting like an excited little girl, leading Giles through the crowd. Olivia's also there, pregnant and pushing a baby stroller. A pram, if you will. Buffy wants to play these carnival games, but they're also Slayer training activities. And Giles is being kind of mean to Buffy instead of like positive and encouraging, which Olivia calls him on. She's like, go easier on her. She gets some cotton candy, and he's like, ugh, you're going to get that all over your face. And then there's this weird flash where she's got, like, gray mud all over her face. And Giles keeps saying, I know you, I know you. But this is interrupted by Spike calling them over into his crypt where he's hired himself out as an attraction, and paparazzi's taking photos of him. They're in his crypt now, and Olivia is there crying with an empty or knocked-over baby carriage. And Giles is just like, what's, what's going on? Don't push me around. I have so much to do. What am I supposed to do with all this stuff going on around me? And Spike's like, you got to make up your mind. You're wasting time. And Giles tells Spike that he thinks Buffy should have killed him. It's probably a good call. Yeah. And of course, Cheese Man is there with cheese on his head. And he says, I wear the cheese. It does not wear me. That's a line from uh, that mask movie. The mask? The No, the man in the iron mask. I just realized that now. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's not originally from that, but that's what I remember. I remember that line from that movie. He keeps walking. Now he's at the bronze where he bumps into Xander and Willow. He's like, sorry I'm late. 
There's kind of a lot going on at once. Willow and Xander are sitting on Giles' couch at the bar, reading Giles' books. They're both experiencing the injuries they got in their dreams and are reading to figure out what's going on. But they're at the bronze because Anya's also doing stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> I assume for the first time. She's uh not good. She's got notes because she can't remember the joke. She's getting heckled, but she's like, quiet, you'll miss the humorous conclusion. But Giles says she's doing quite well. Yeah. And Willow says, do you know this is your fault? Giles is like, chill, I'm busy. I have a gig myself, you know. <laughs> and Willow tells them there's a primal force after them. Giles says, that used to be us? I don't really know what that means. And then Xander says, don't get linear on me now, man. All this was unclear to me. Well, I mean, they all like joined with that spirit. So when he says that used to be us, I wonder if he's mean like we were joined with her at one point. With whom? With first, the spirit? The yeah. spirit. Not the first. I mean, the first slayer. Right. And Anya is wrapping up her joke about a duck. The audience ends up liking it. Willow's like, focus up, Rupert. <laughs> we got to figure out what we're fighting. And then Giles just starts singing about just what's on his mind. <laughs> just a bunch of exposition. I yeah. loved it. I loved it. He goes up on stage. Everyone loves it. His song's about how the spell they did with Buffy released a primal evil that's coming back, seeking something. He tells Willow to look through the Chronicles for some reference to a warrior beast, and he's got to warn Buffy because she might be next. I can't believe you're not singing this. <laughs> he tells Xander to help Willow and to try not to bleed on his couch because he just had it steam cleaned. These are the actual lyrics to his song. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing a little bit, yeah. Willow and Xander are reading, but they have, like, lighters in the air the whole time. Yeah. And then he just kind of stops singing and sinks to the ground, starts crawling off stage to the back. Did these curtains remind you of vaginas? No. Okay. I really feel like the other ones were... Sim Please, somebody back me up. If I'm wrong, tell me, but I really <laughs> feels like they are. And in a pile of microphone cords, he finds the pocket watch he was hypnotizing Buffy with. Also the creatures back there. And he says, well, that was obvious, but I can defeat you with my intellect. I can cripple you with my thoughts. It sounds like Snape's little first day of school poem. Snape? Yeah. He's like, I can teach you monkey's brain. I don't remember what he says, but he's got a whole list of things he says. Whatever. He tells her she underestimates him, but you couldn't know. You never had a watcher. And then she slices his brain out. End of Giles' dream. Yeah. So Unpack this for us. I think it's mostly about him... Kind of also not knowing what the hell he's doing next. Mm -hmm. But unlike Xander, he's used to having a lot of responsibility. So it's a bit more of a stress stream for him. Like he feels overwhelmed. Like he doesn't really know which direction to go in. Mm -hmm. He knows he needs to do something. Mm -hmm. I, I don't exactly get what's going on with Buffy though. Because he's like hypnotizing her and it's not working. Maybe like he feels like he's losing control of Buffy. I feel like in that first scene, it's like all about that stuff that happened in Helpless. Because he's hypnotizing her. Yeah. Which he did in Helpless, right? And he yeah. says to her, and he's dressed like in his like old tweed and stuff. And he says to her something along the lines of like, you know, this is the way we've been doing it for generations. This is the way men and women interact or something like that. And I think that was like a direct callback to what he did in Helpless. And I feel like this is some guilt he's been holding for all these seasons. That like he's supposed to watch Buffy, but like. He betrayed her, like fundamentally betrayed her and risked her life when if he did this. that's true, that that, then that's cool because they got over that pretty quickly. <laughs> right. They totally did. She was very hurt, but for like an episode. 
But I, I, and you know, this is just my thoughts. I don't know that any of this is right, but like, I feel like he's struggling with this a lot of stuff. One, I think you're totally right, where he's like, I don't really know what I'm doing with my life. What's my role right now? I think it's less like Xander, where he's like desperately like, I need something to prove myself. Where in this one, he's just sort of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do that's right. He cares about Buffy. She's clearly like a child to him when they're like at the fair. That's clearly what that like symbolizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much so that he's ignoring the real child he could have with Olivia, like the real family he could have. Yeah. He's ignoring that for Buffy. And I think he's struggling with this. Why I think he's mean to Buffy, struggling with like, how much do I like push her to be better and safer and stronger? And how much do I, you know, let her be herself and like make mistakes and stuff like that? And it all comes down to what he did in Helpless, where he's like, one time I did try to push her and it almost killed Buffy. And it almost ruined his relationship with Buffy. So he's got this like struggle of like, I don't know how much to push her because if I don't push her, she could get hurt. But like, also, I don't want to push her away. Like, I don't know what my role is anymore. And I think at the end, when the, the first Slayer like gets him, I think he maybe could have defeated her with his intellect if he wasn't like emotionally crippled by remembering what he did to Buffy when he finds that pocket watch. Yeah, because he is... The crawling was, like, definitely significant. He has this, like, really confident moment, and then he, like, suddenly can't anymore. Yeah, and he finds that pocket watch, which I think is him being like, I, I'm not worthy of this. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why do you think he sang? Because he sings. one of yeah. the things he's doing now. <laughs> yeah. It it felt like a stress dream to me. I don't know. I feel like I relate to his dream the most. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I have all these things I like to do and want to do, but I don't know what to focus on. Right. I would love to hear other people's interpretations of Giles' dream because, like, that's sort of my loose one. But like, there was a lot going on, mm-hmm. so I don't really know how I want to other people think. And I, I do feel like the hypnotizing thing was like a reference to Helpless because I mean that was the only other time he's hypnotized her. Spike maybe is significant. Too. I mean, Spike told him you need to pick something. Yeah. you need to figure out what to do. But also, Spike just kind of being like another problem he's dealing with. Yeah. Well, I think when Buffy, because he says, like, I always think Buffy should have killed you. I think that's another thing where it's like, like, should I tell Buffy that she's got to do this? Buffy didn't want to kill Spike, but, like, maybe I should have made her. That's that struggle between, like, how much is he guiding her? How much is he overbearing? You know what I mean? Spike being there felt kind of meta, too. Yeah. (laughs) I'm here because the camera loves me. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. Should we move on to Buffy's dream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Buffy's dream, she's awoken in her dorm room by Anya, who's sleeping in Willow's bed, begging her to wake up. Buffy's like, nah, I need my beauty sleep. And then she has a quick vision of the creature and some chains above her, I think. It's kind of hard to tell. And then she wakes up again in her bed in her mom's house, and then she's standing in front of the bed, all messed up, with Tara. And Buffy's like, what? Faith and I just made that bed. And Tara asks, for who? Buffy's like, I don't know. I thought you were here to tell me. Tara? She's not that intense. (laughs) She's like, where's my friends? We were going to watch movies. Tara's like, sorry, honey, you lost them. And Buffy's like, no, they, they need me to find them. And then she sees the clock says 7.30, and she says it's so late. Does she mean early? Because 7.30 is never late, no matter how you look at it. Right. It, it's daytime, but that could be either 7.30, depending on the time of year. Right. I don't but know. Tara's like, yeah, that clock's completely wrong, and hands her a giant tarot card, the one that represented Buffy in the spell that they did last week. With the hands on it. Yeah. And Buffy's like, no thanks. I'm never going to use those. Tara's like, you think you know what's to come, what you are, but you haven't even begun. And then the bed appears to be made again. And Buffy's like, huh, well, this is weird. I'm going to go find my friends. See you, Tara. 
And after she leaves, Tara says, be back before dawn, who I know is Michelle Trachtenberg, and she's coming in season five, but I don't know anything about her. There's, like, just so much in this scene that is, like, (laughs) clearly prophetic. So obviously this is, I, I feel like we need to stop for a second. Okay. Like, this is clearly calling back to the dream sequence she had with Faith. Well, yeah. I mean, they literally say it is. Right. But I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the dream sequence with Faith had a bunch of, like, prophetic things that have yet to pass, including a clock that said 7.30 on it. Was that in the first dream with Faith or in the bed-making dream with Faith? Uh, I think I think it was the first dream with Faith in season in graduation day in season three. She had the clock said 7.30, and she's like, oh, 7.30, counting down. And then it still says 7.30, and Tara's like, that's wrong. And obviously, you know there's a Dawn. Spoilers, there's somebody named Dawn at some point. That's all we could say. I feel like we will definitely come back and address a lot of this mm-hmm. later on after we've seen some more show. That's it. Okay. Well, then Buffy's walking through the college hallway, asking around for her friends, and she comes across Joyce living inside a little hole in the wall. <laughs> she seems very happy in there. She said she's made lemonade. She's learning to play mahjong. She's like, I'm totally fine. Go find your friends. And Buffy's like, yeah, I think they might be in danger. And Joyce just laughs and laughs because a mouse is playing with her knees. It's so funny. Buffy's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you should be living in there, Joyce. And Joyce is like, well, you could probably break through the wall. But Buffy's like, whatever, Joyce, and just leave her there to die. <laughs> then Buffy's in an initiative room where Riley and human Adam are wearing nice clothes, sitting at a conference table. Riley says, hey there, killer. Buffy's annoyed he didn't tell her he was back. He says his debriefing went great and that they made him Surgeon General. (laughs) (laughs) Surgeon General's like public health stuff. Is this just a joke? Or like, why would they make him Surgeon General? I think it was a joke, yeah. He also says that he and Adam are drawing up plans for world domination, with the key element being coffee makers that think. Buffy's like, world domination? Is that a good? And Riley's like, baby, we're the government. It's what we do. And then there's this weird shot where he like spins around and the camera comes up under the glass table revealing he's got a handgun sitting there. Adam says she's uncomfortable with certain concepts and that aggression is a natural human tendency. And Buffy's like, we're not demons. And Adam's like, are you though? We've got important work to do here. Like a lot of filing and giving things names. Yeah. And Buffy asks Adam what his name was. And he's like, before Adam, not a man among us can remember. And then the computer voice from Star Trek comes on saying that the demons have escaped. Please run for your lives. Adam says this could be trouble. Riley's like, we better make a fort. Adam's going to grab some pillows. (laughs) It was fun to see Adam out of costume. Out of makeup, yeah. Yeah, he looks so different and sounds different. And then Buffy notices her weapons bag at her feet, but it's not weapons. It's cement or mud. Whatever was on her face before, it's that. And she puts them on her face now. It wouldn't be my first inclination if I discovered my purse was filled with goo, but you do you, Buffy. Both times she's in this mud mask, the lighting is weird. Like, she's kind of glowing from the inside. Everything's Mm -hmm. blue around her. Is that important? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. The mud mask, I don't understand. That must be something. I mean, I think it's some kind of connection to her Slayer lineage. Because the first Slayer has got, like, goo on her face. Sure. Maybe that's why she had it in Giles' dream, because he also kind of figures it out. Yeah. Okay. Then Riley is standing above her in his civvies now, and he's all like, I thought you were looking for your friends. Okay, killer, again. Mm -hmm. If that's the way you want it, I guess you're on your own. And he leaves. Muddy Buffy keeps walking and finds herself in a desert. She's like, ugh, this sucks. I'm never going to find my friends here. But Tara's there. I mean, she's everywhere. Yeah. 
She's kind of dressed like a like a I Dream a Genie ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is a funny thing to say because that was a show that couldn't show her belly button because that was like a standard at the time. Oh, right. It's just funny because earlier they couldn't show a kiss and then you happen to make that connection. Yeah. Tara's so controversial. But this isn't actually Tara. She's there as like an avatar to speak for the thing that's following them all. Uh, that This this kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I realized I'm like 20 years past this, but it felt like a weird race thing. Oh. Because the Slayer, the first Slayer is, um, I'm guessing, African. And she, like, can't speak. And there's definitely, like, plot reasons to justify that. But it's, like, weird that she needs this, like, pretty white woman to speak on her behalf. Sure. In this, if in a real world, if we brought someone from, like, the past, they would not be able to communicate very well. But it's, like, you're in a dream where, like, does language matter? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was, like, a little weird that, like, she needed this, like, white savior to sort of, like, speak on her behalf. I, I didn't love that idea. But anyway. So, as you said, this person that's been following them the whole dream is is here now. She definitely seems to be of a different time. Yeah. Buffy keeps telling Tara to make her speak for herself. But Tara says she doesn't have speech or a name. Buffy's like, why are you following me? Where are my friends? Through Tara, she says, I live in the action of death. I'm destruction. I'm alone. Buffy correctly assumes that she's the first slayer. And Buffy's now also holding a stack of those tarot cards, but they've got little Harry Potter moving pictures of her and all of her friends in the living room. And Buffy's like, I'm not alone. And the Slayer through Tara tells her that the Slayer doesn't walk in this world. Buffy's like, I do. I do all kinds of shit. I'm going to be a fireman in the desert when the floods roll back. There's trees in the desert since you moved out. And I don't sleep on a bed of bones. Does this all mean stuff? I don't know. I have some thoughts on some of it. I don't know if I'm right. I don't know. I mean, like, there's trees in the desert since you moved out. I don't sleep on a bed of bones. That could be like, I mean, there's beds now, you yeah. know, like you're from a time where beds were made out of different things. I want to talk about Fireman in the Desert, though. Okay. There's a man with a fire face on the game that I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I don't know anything about is, that. Is Buffy going to be a fireman and put him out? I don't know. Well, Buffy's assuming a lot about this lady's life when she sleeps on a bed of bones. I mean, I th- I think that this Slayer meets Buffy and essentially is kind of confused by meeting Buffy because this Slayer was the first Slayer. She's been taught and told and, like, was created to, like, bring death to demons, right? And she is a killer. And she meets Buffy, and Buffy this whole episode in her dream has been constantly called a killer. This is something that, like, at some point, like, Faith is talking about them being killers, and Buffy's like, we're not killers. You killed a man, but, like, we're not – we don't kill. Like, we're not killers. And, like, Faith in Buffy's body even had that conversation with Forrest. Where he called her a killer. I think that the Slayer is essentially, like, kind of, like, I'm kind of confused by what I'm seeing in you right now. And Buffy's like, I'm not like you. I'm not, like, a yeah. single person. Like, I'm not a Terminator. The world has changed a lot since you were around. And I am not alone anymore. I don't have to be alone. In fact, I'm stronger not alone. Mm-hmm. Her saying, I want to be a fireman, that could mean a lot. But one thing it could mean... It could have been like a little more simple, like just like I'm a fireman, like I'm a hero who isn't a killer. Like I put out fires. Oh, sure. There's other kinds of heroes. Yeah. Like I'm not like it's not a cop. Not not the cops are killed. You know, like a cop might have to kill somebody, but a fireman isn't like my job is putting out fires. That's what I do. And that's like what she does. Like the fires are demons that are hurting people, but it's not I'm a killer. It's a I provide a public service for the greater good. That's my thought. I don't know. No, I think that's that's beautiful, Brian. But Buffy says, give me my friends back. And then the lady does speak for herself. She says, no friends, just the kill. We are alone. And then the cheese man holds up some cheese, of course. <laughs> it's funny because all the other ones like are shoehorned in a little bit. You know what I mean? But he just like literally just like leans into the shot <laughs> and jiggles the cheese. Yes. 
And that's enough for Buffy. She's like, fuck this dream. I'm waking up. I know this is a dream. And the lady fights her for a bit. Buffy's like, it's over. We don't do this anymore. And the lady's like, oh, yes, we do. And they tumble, tumble, tumble down a dune until someone shouts enough. And Buffy wakes up in her living room. Everyone's still asleep. But uh uh-oh, the lady followed her. She's there badly stabbing at Buffy. She's got her on the ground. Buffy's like, you done? If I ignore you, will you go away? You're not the source of me. And insults her a bunch. And then she goes away and, and everyone wakes up. We didn't really talk about the Riley stuff too much. I'm not really sure what to make of that. Other than Adam telling her, like, you have different ideas of, like, what demons and humans are, kind of. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting stuff about what Adam says here that, like, honestly, I don't want to go into. Yeah, I think you mentioned that Buffy's dream was maybe more prophetic than others. Yeah, and so there's some stuff that he says that, like, you know, may or may not be symbolic of something, but, like, I, I just, I'd rather not talk about it until it happens. I do think there's a couple important things. One being, like, this whole season, we'll talk about this in the next episode, has some, like, contrast between male and female and masculine and feminine traits. But I feel like one thing that stood out in this one for me was, like, in Willow's dream, she's got that cat. And she says to Tara, when do you think she'll tell us her name? But in this dream, the two men are sitting there, and they're like, we're naming things. We are the ones giving names. Yeah, and that's, like, what Adam and the Bible did. Yeah. And Riley did kind of have an attitude, like, get out of here, the men are working. Yeah. So I, I think there's a connection there. And maybe there's some connection even to Xander being a conquistador versus a comfortador. Uh, I don't know. That's just that initial thoughts I had. Oh, and as far as Joyce being in the wall, I, I think that's clearly yes. like you're more interested in finding your friends than you are in what I'm up to. Yeah. Because Joyce kind of like updates her on what she's been up to. Like she kind of acts fine. Maybe she's not, though. Maybe she's just like pretending she's okay. But she's like, yeah, I've been making lemonade. I'm learning how to play Mahjong. I'm good. Go on and find your friends like you always do. Yeah, I think that represents Buffy's guilt, right? That she's like getting Ignoring her mom. Yeah. But when her mom finally is like, oh, you could help me, she immediately abandons her mom for her friends. Right. Okay, so they're all awake now. Later, they're sitting around the dining room table processing that this was the first Slayer and how them doing the spell to kill Adam somehow offended this Slayer, and they're all pretty wigged. Joyce has awoken. Xander's very uncomfortable around her. (laughs) Buffy is particularly wigged, and she gets up to go take a shower and is like, at least you all didn't dream about that guy with the cheese. Don't know where the hell that came from. (laughs) And they all kind of just look at each other like, uh... You told me the cheese is not significant. I no, it's not. It's just a funny thing to connect them all. Yeah, I remember people used to talk about this episode a lot, like years ago, and it was like, no, it's just this thing that doesn't make sense. It's supposed to be funny that it doesn't. I mean, maybe there is a greater meaning that since then people have figured out. I don't know. I I don't think so. I think it's just supposed to be funny. Well, we'll get there in Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Buffy goes upstairs. She looks in her room at her bed, which is made, and again hears Tara's voice. You think you know what's to come, what you are, but you haven't even begun. And she goes to shower. End of season four. Yeah. So, Brian, was this a good episode? I think it was, yeah. I think it was a really good episode. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. It's weird and probably makes a lot more sense to someone that's seen the show. Yeah. But, I mean, it wasn't meant for someone that's seen the show when it originally aired. And I still enjoyed it. I like dreams. Some of the stuff in the dreams was just wacky dream stuff. So some of the prophetic stuff you can sort of just dismiss because you're like, oh, that was just wacky stuff. That doesn't really matter. But there was plenty of stuff that touched on stuff we already knew. So we could already kind of get what it symbolized. It, it was sort of a little amuse-bouche for season five. I don't know what that means. Appetizer. Oh. Felt like Xander there for a minute. Well, it is French. No, I was sexualizing your mom. You don't sexualize my mother. I don't ever, no. 
Um, but yeah, I think it was it was definitely like it was one of those episodes too that like it was good, but also just like so different that it's just like I I want to watch it again just to be like what happened. Like after we watch the next season, I'd be interested in rewatching some of the dream sequences. Oh yeah, for sure. This is an episode I I mean I, I might rewatch the whole series at some point. Obviously, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. I feel like this is one I'd maybe start oh, with. Oh my god. Can you imagine not having to wait between episodes? Crazy. Just go to the next one. When you watched season four for the first time in 2000, when you were Mm -hmm. a lad of 16. Right. Episode 21 ends and you know there's one more left. What are you thinking? Because episode 21 is pretty like, well, that's done. Initiative's gone forever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really remember how I felt about it. Did you know there was one more? Yeah, I did. I think when I saw I might have been like, is there another one next week? But then there was like a next time on Buffy. So like, okay, yeah, there was. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I liked it too. I'm I'm excited to understand it more later. But it was definitely fun to watch in the moment. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. Should we move on, Brian? Yes. It's time to wake up and do another segment. <laughs> and now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacey, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 4, Episode 22, Which Way Now, the Charmed Ones are visited by the Angel of Destiny, who offers them a choice of destinies for vanquishing the Source. They can remain charmed or choose to relinquish their powers and live normal lives. Why would you ever give up that Charmed Powers, man? Every other day, you're, like, blasting people and hooking up with dogs. When are they blasting people? (laughs) Willow does blasting. I don't know if Willow does blasting. Um, (laughs) I have a blast if I were a witch. You would. So I guess there's just no more source. They vanquished it. It was going to be Phoebe and Cole, but they're like, nah. So now there just isn't one? Yeah, I mean, they got found out. So they're just like, yeah, there's no source now. And, like, the demons are in civil war because of that whole thing. So there just sort of, like, isn't a source. Cool. I, I assume there needed to be a source, but I, I guess we're sourceless, and that's you don't a need good thing. A source, okay? Boo. Well, I mean, obviously, one of them is gonna toy with the idea of normal life. I mean, I think what happens is, well, first of all, we got to deal with what happened last week. Uh, Phoebe had her baby stolen yeah. by the seer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so she says, to, "Can I get a destiny where I get that baby back?" And Angel's like, "Yeah, we could, I guess." That's what ends up happening, though, actually, is that the angel says at the end of the episode, like, well, the only fate where you get your kid back is if you stay as one of the Charmed Ones. So she stays a Charmed One. But we do see scenes of all of them sort of fantasizing what their lives would be like if they weren't to be Charmed Ones. Totally. Piper's like, you know, I I could just be like a bar owner and live a normal life and have a job and a hut. Oh, wait. If I'm a mortal, it's really weird if I'm married to a dog. So she's like, I got to stay with my dog. Yep. She stays with Leo. And Paige is like pretty new at this. So she's got like all kinds of fantasies of just like going back to regular teenage Paige stuff, you know? Yeah. She's like, oh, I could go back to my life a year ago. Awesome. But at the end, they just they just decide to to stay. But I mean, they're tempted. Yeah. Oh, they are tempted. So it's just this whole back and forth of like one of them's convinced they're going to give it up and the other two are like on board to keep their powers and they just have to keep convincing each other that it makes sense for them to stay charmed ones. Yeah. And the angel keeps showing them like this could be your life. It's kind of like a wonderful life, but like. But like kind of like a game show. It's like a game show. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I saw the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Very presentational. So they stay charmed because she's like, this is the path to get my baby back. Barbecue sauce. <laughs> and they're like, "What'd you say?" And he's like, "I couldn't help it. It's just so catchy." And it it ends with Phoebe um, painting a nursery, hoping that soon her baby will be back. It's pretty touching. I hope she gets her baby back. I don't, Brian. 
I do too. This has been Meanwhile Uncharted. All right, Brian, we did it. We finished Gilmore Girls season four, big season finale. Everyone's so excited to hear what you have to say about raincoats and recipes. I didn't watch it. I don't know what happens. You watched it twice and you cried both times. I, I know. Yeah, well, did I? Is that what happened? You came in here after doing your nose today, <laughs> like wiping your eyes after watching it for the second dude, time. Dude, dude, I, it was so much dust in here. It's crazy how much dust we get in here. Anyway, um, so this episode called Raincoats and Recipes is about this super rainy day where they have to stay inside and they have all these vegetables they got to use. And so they're like, let's just make a ton of different soups. No. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds nice. We should do that. It someday. was a really nice one, you know. Nothing had no drama. No, this is about Lorelai doing a test run at the end for a weekend and just pretty much housing everybody from the show so we can just have a lot of interpersonal drama and some uh, love in the air, some different types of love. Mm-hmm. Different types of love are made. Yes. So the episode starts with Rory up at 3 a.m. cooking mac and cheese, doing laundry, and also, like, just talking a mile a minute when, like, a sleepy-as-hell Lorelai kind of, like, shambles in the room to see what's going on. Rory is still on her, like, final sleep schedule, so she's, like, unable to sleep, and she's just, like, very wild. Even for a Gilmore Girl episode, she's talking super, super fast, really fast. I don't think Lorelai says a word in this scene. She does it at the very at end, the very but she's end, just yeah. quietly watching her daughter in disbelief while she's just, like, up at 3 a.m. with, like, so much energy. Oh, real quick. Uh, at some point, she's making mac and cheese, and she pulls out cheese slices from the fridge and says, like, oh, individual cheese slices. So weird. After just having watched that whole Buffy episode. Yeah, because you don't use cheese slices for mac and cheese. So it seemed like they were almost just like, a, let's reference Buffy season four's finale. It's I legitimately it really wonder did. if they didn't. I, right? I, I feel like she, maybe she did. I've heard tell that Amy will watch Buffy while she wrote Gilmore Girls, which seems insane to me to be watching a show you like while you're trying to come up with your own ideas. Right. It could be homage. Like, does she watch the corresponding episode when she writes? You know what I mean? Like, Right. That just seemed like too weird of a detail. I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past the Gilmore Girls to put extra slices of cheese in mac and cheese. Sure. But I mean, when you make mac and cheese, you just like shredded cheese. Or the packet or- that comes with it. Yeah, it depends on what kind of mac and cheese you're making. But it just seemed almost like a wink, wink, I love Buffy, and this is a fun, I don't know. Ooh, individual cheese slices, like from that Buffy episode. Yeah, they don't wear me, I wear that. Okay, she didn't (laughs) say that, but. It was very weird, very weird. But anyway, she's talking a mile a minute, and she goes into her bedroom, and then Lorelai just shuts the door on her and, like, like props a chair up against the handle so she can't leave. Great to have you home, hon. Yeah, she says, great to have you home, hon, and she's walking away. It's super funny. So like I said, the inn is about to open, and Lorelai is preparing for a test run, a night where her friends and family members are going to come stay. It's sort of like a practice run for the inn staff. Michelle is upset that Lorelai can invite Rory to stay, but he's not allowed to give a room to his two puppies, his two chow dogs, Papa and Chin Chin. He's like, they're cleaner than Rory. That was very funny. Could they just stay in his room? Is he staying there? I assume so. I'm guessing, he, yeah, that's a good question. I don't Unless know. he's not. He's not going home, though, because he, that's one of the reasons he wants it. He's afraid it's going to eat all his it, expensive Italian stuff. Right. They need, like, a night manager, right? Like, Michelle isn't going to stay there every night that there's customers. Right. That's a good question. Where's Tobin? They need some Tobin action. Kirk is there helping with the firewood. Apparently, firewood collection or distribution is his new current job. 
Uh, he tells Michelle he hates dogs because they urinate on wood. <laughs> He's just obsessed with wood for this episode. Just the scene. Yeah, just the scene. Uh, Lulu is also there, and Lorelai invites her and Kirk to come to the test run. And Lulu says, oh, Kirk will be so happy to be able to check on the wood. <laughs> <laughs> Lorelai's like, uh, Kirk is lucky to have found you. She's a sweetie. Yeah. Suki is having some real big problems in the kitchen, as in that she's not having any problems and her staff is all too awesome. She was hoping that at least two of them would like burn out and suck so she could just keep the good ones, but they're all good and she has too many and she's too nice to cut them. She doesn't know what to do. There's also a really funny moment where Lorelai reminds Suki it's her wedding anniversary and Suki just like runs out. Yeah. They're going over the reservations and Michelle mentions to Lorelai that Luke is coming and then she gets like a little bit flustered like, oh, he's coming? Oh, yeah. And that's because, if you guys remember, she's just not quite sure if they're dating right now. Because in the last episode, there was like this moment after he invited her out that seemed like, is this romantic? And then he invites her to another date. So she's like not clear what's going on with her and Luke. Or how she feels, perhaps. Like if she likes him or not. Sure, yeah. Meanwhile, Rory wakes up to a post-it note just on her face that says that she should meet her mom at Luke's for lunch. Also, Lorelai at some point finished her laundry for her and folded it on top of her on her bed. That's nice. Yeah, it's just like, I, I thought she just dumped it, but it's, a fo- it's folded. Yeah. Also, just like Rory apparently is unable to be woken up, which Lorelai does say later. I feel like I would wake up if my mom was folding laundry on top of me. Oh, yeah. But you know the way our moms fold laundry. Yeah, it's pretty aggressive. Loud. Yeah. They're both Karens. Yep. They're constantly asking to see the manager. They literally are both named Karen, though. I know. It's funny. I know you know. They don't know that. Yes, you guys should. I, no joke. Both of our moms are named Karen. That's not a joke. It's 100% real. And I don't think either of them are really Karens. No. Anyway, uh, Rory goes to Lane's where they are trying to play a video game, which they are not good at, nor are they good at acting like they're playing. <laughs> Do you know what game they were playing? You knew what game Zach and Brian were playing? No, because it, they just they say stuff like, where'd he go? I think you lost because you don't have a head. I don't, I'm guessing they're playing Soul Calibur. I don't know. Is that what Brian and Zach were playing? Right. So I assume it must be the same game. But Rory's all like, is this what teenage boys do instead of watching TV? Seems like a lateral move. Uh, sorry, honey, it's not. Video games require you to problem solve and interact with your entertainment, while TV does not. It's not a lateral move. Anyway, that's just my preaching. Sorry, everybody. Was that to not me? To yeah, that was to you. I just want you to know. You started with honey. <laughs> well, I was calling her honey, like uh, talking down to her. I understand. When I call you honey, it's also me talking down to you. Oh, yeah, all those times we thought I was being sweet. No, yeah. I was condescending. So Lane has uh, returned to hiding items, namely food, under the floorboards so the boys can't, like, eat all her food. I don't think I could pry up our floorboards if I wanted to. Yeah, and I don't think I would want to no, know I what's under there. I definitely don't want to know what's under there. There's a body under this building for sure. Rory finally mentions that Jess dropped by the other night and asked her to go away with him. Lane's like, oh my god, that's incredibly romantic, but Rory like does not think it was. She's like, Jess bailed on her twice, and his proposal to like run away was crazy, and it was all a terrible experience, because Jess is like far too unpredictable and untrustworthy. Yeah, like if she had said yes, he might have changed his mind. Exactly. Lane thinks it's romantic, but Lane like hated Jess. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't I mean the gesture isn't still romantic. And it is pretty romantic, but yeah. Lane almost seems to be like, what? You should have gone with him. Right. Rory goes on to say that when she and Dean were dating, she could always count on Dean to be there, and she felt safe with him. And she guess she's, she blew it with Dean. So we know that she's got some Dean regret now. I mean, I feel like it's been alluded to before, but this is like her just saying it like very yeah. clearly. P.S. They both have crabs on their shirts. Oh, I didn't even notice. They're very different, but they... Trying to figure out what game they were playing. 
Rory heads over to Luke's. She passes the troubadour, who's back. Nice. She says hi to him. I don't think we've seen him since the Festival of Living Art. Yeah, it's been a long time. She finds Lorelai there just staring at Luke working. Lorelai asks Rory if Luke seems different than before, before, before. Rory has no idea what she's talking about. So Lorelai takes her outside and admits that she might be dating Luke. She just isn't sure. Rory tells her that dating Luke is kind of a big deal because he's a huge part of their lives and the town. And if they break up, it'll be bad for everybody. Lorelai is still flustered, but like isn't sure how she feels or what she knows. And when they walk in, Luke asks if everything is okay. And Lorelai's like, yeah, and then just proceeds to immediately trip onto a table, just knocking everything off onto the ground. So funny. So funny. It was really uh, some really good uh, pratfall. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'd recently seen this just isolated clip, but I didn't really know the context. I wasn't expecting it. So funny. Then Rory sees Dean outside, and she waves, but he does not wave back. He is clearly unhappy to see her. He sort of like huff puffs and walks the other way. He huffle puffs? He huffle puffs. He's like, I'm not good enough or smart enough to be in a different house, so. Dean's totally a Hufflepuff. Dude, he's a Hufflepuff, dude. I might be a Hufflepuff. You're not a Hufflepuff. It's okay at to be a At worst, you're a Ravenclaw. I'm not. I'm not a Gryffindor. You're a Gryffindor. I said, at worst, you're a Ravenclaw. I don't think I'm a Gryffindor. I think I literally took the quiz and I was a Hufflepuff. Oh, the quiz that's true in every way? Yes. I took a blood test and I'm a Gryffindor. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it's way more uh, accurate than some whatever quiz you took. Then it's time for another very awkward Friday night dinner. Richard and Emily are both there, but they are being snippy with each other. They've given up on pretending to be into it. Uh, yeah, they're just like, I don't know. Like, it's clear, like, like at some point they're clearing their dishes and he's like, well, I'm not done. But, like, Emily doesn't care that he's not done with his food. They're also eating duck. And Anya's joke was about a duck. That's true. That is true. Another little connection. Emily asks Rory, just out of the blue, if she'd like to go to Europe with her this summer. Because she wants to make sure that Rory does Europe the right way sometime in her lifetime. Because, you know, the way Lorelai and her did Europe last summer was not the right way, I guess. Lorelai's not, like, in love with this idea. Because essentially it's like, well, you just floated that to Rory. She's, of course, going to want to do it now. Right. Like, I didn't have any say in this. Richard doesn't even know about it. Yeah. He's like, what? 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 Richard's so grumpy. He becomes a duck and they eat him. Just like in Anya's joke. Yeah. Well, Emily and Richard are like snipping at each other. Lorelai invites them both to her inn's test run. And she like really, really guilts them into going. She's like, you know, I've been doing this, working towards this for the last like 20 years. And it's the most important thing to have in my life since Rory. So I'm sure my family would never miss it. Unless you got a really good reason. That you can't come together. And of course, they're not going to admit that they're separated. So they like agree to come. It's clear they're like gritting their teeth. Like, yeah, okay, we're going to come. After dinner, when Rory asked Lorelai why she did that, Lorelai says that she's going to put them in a bungalow outside the inn, lock the door, and keep them in there until they reconcile or die. You know, very healthy way to fix relationship problems. I mean, it worked for us. It did, yeah. We died. And uh, in the afterlife, we made up. And in the next life... We made a podcast. Yeah. Then we cut to Luke's, where a very serious Kirk just, like, barges in and cuts Luke off, saying, we need to talk. And then proceeds to just, like, walk upstairs straight into Luke's apartment without any invite or asking permission. So funny. He's never been up there. Yeah. I love these scenes with Luke, where Luke is sort of just like, what the hell's going on, Kirk? (laughs) Kirk is in his apartment. It just starts, like, commenting on his apartment and, like, going through his mail and shit while he's there. That's so funny. He starts telling him why he's there, and he's just casually going through his mail. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, he's there because Kirk is worried about his weekend with Lulu at the end because he and Lulu have never spent the night together. He makes it clear they've had sex. Lots and lots of sex. But they haven't slept slept together because Kirk has night terrors. And this always leads to him ending up naked on a rooftop every time. Kirk says that he loves Lulu and has tried to tell her that he loved her once by spelling it out in Oreos, but she was like really hungry and like ate them too fast before she could read it. (laughs) Honestly, every single line out of Kirk in this episode is like gold. Like, honest, I could, it's hard for me not to write every joke he says. They're all funny. Every line. It's a good Kirk episode. Yeah. Kirk says to Luke that he just like can't assault Lulu before he tells her that he loves her. (laughs) So he begs Luke for help. Kirk had called the inn and put his and Luke's room next to each other. And he says to Luke, if you hear anything like screaming or rushing, <laughs> just like come right in and pull me off Lulu. Unless it looks like you shouldn't pull me off Lulu. I'll let you lose your own judgment on that one. <laughs> it's very funny. You mean Kirk speaks Russian in his dreams? Just like Giles speaks French in Xander's dreams? Whoa. I mean, that's kind of a connection. It's, there's so many. And then when Kirk leaves, he's like, Luke, what kind of clothes are you bringing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Such like a, I don't know, something a little kid would ask. Yeah. <laughs> There's just such a tone shift from why he's there. At the end, the test run is starting, but Tom hasn't delivered the doors to the rooms yet. Tom. But they like end up coming like right when people are checking in. And actually, they have kind of a fun thing where Lorelai has people follow their doors up to the room. And mm-hmm. the construction guys like put them on when they check in. The guests all arrive in like golf carts from like a parking lot somewhere i'm guessing Mm. the whole thing's very cute though like everything looks really pretty and it's nice it is the horses are there yes they are again i don't really know why but they're there dean is also there he's there to help with the doors and some last minute construction stuff rory eventually like corners him and says he ignored her he's not answering her phone calls and wants to know like why he's so mad Uh, Like, specifically, he's like, well, you know, because of Jess. And she's like, well, I made Jess leave. And he's like, well, you also made me leave. And he's finally like, I'm upset because I thought maybe you were back with him. And then she's all like, I'm not. I'm not with him. But, like, even if I were, you know, why would that bother you? Then, then they are clearly starting to hold back some desire for each other. The camera is, like, slowly zooming in on them. They're getting closer and closer. The lalas start to fade in. They start speaking way slow and, like, breathing harder. Rory's all like, you don't want me to be with him because he treats me badly and you're my friend. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm your friend. Your friend. And then Dean goes to kiss her and Tom just like appears like he knows it's going to happen. Do you think Tom knew? I don't. It reminds me of that Buffy moment when Giles catches or doesn't catch Willow and Xander kissing. Right. It's a very similar thing where they think they're alone and, uh, Man is like, uh, Xander, Willow, <clears throat> Right, I don't think Tom knew. He could have. I mean, I think he would have let them be, probably. Yeah, I, don't, I just feel like Tom wasn't the kind of person that would, like, tell you, don't do that. I think Tom just, because he's not, like, looking at them when he comes in the shot. Right, it's it's the same with that Giles scene, where it's like, he maybe would have seen them, but probably wasn't. He was, like, looking at a book or something. Yeah. Well, Tom comes in, and he's like, how about them doors, Dean? You getting them done? And the magic is broken, and Dean gets back to work. There's a couple of fun things in this sequence. Taylor's got a whole bit where he's like ready to give Lorelai his whole list of complaints. He's like taking his duties as a test customer very seriously. He also mentions his bag has breakables. Why? Yeah, what breakables (laughs) are you bringing to this hotel? I don't understand. Also love when Kirk double checks with Lorelai that Luke will be here before he goes to sleep. (laughs) It's a guy thing. It's a guy thing, yeah. 
And Patty mentions, either Patty or Babette says something about, imagine all the babies that'll be conceived here. Yeah. Kirk at one point too tells Michelle that he like needs Michelle to like essentially remove everything from his his room. And Michelle's like, I'm not prying pictures off the wall. And he's like, oh, I guess you've never been in love then. <laughs> Again, everything Kirk says, golden, super funny in this episode. Eventually, Richard and Emily show up, barely hiding their disdain for each other. Richard says he's tired from the drive. Lorelai says, it's only 20 minutes. He's like, it felt longer. <laughs> Luke shows up with flowers for Lorelai. She's flustered because maybe those are we are dating flowers. She doesn't know. Could just be congrats on your end flowers. Yeah, right. Could go either way. He asks if she's okay. She's all like, yeah, I'm fine. And then just immediately walks into someone holding a door. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, so funny. funny. The choreography with the doors was so funny. Just the, having yeah. the guy walk through with it at that time. Yeah. It's actually Luke's door. Yeah, it was super funny. It was super funny. Yeah, honestly, it was great. And then she like says that it's a bit. <laughs> like she lies yeah, to Luke. Yeah, she's like, no, I've been cover. doing it all day. It's a bit, which is almost meta, really. Just like the spike thing was meta. Yeah, wow. These connections are deep, man. The cheese is weird, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that one. And Rory kind of gives Lorelai a look like, you like Luke. And then Lorelai threatens to lock her in again. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I've locked you in before. Good luck with no doors, Lorelai. Yeah, it's true. At dinner, we get to see Jackson, who comments on the Credence Clearwater shirt that Suki bought him for their anniversary. And he's like, wow, with everything going on, I thought she would have forgotten for sure. But luckily, Lorelai had reminded her earlier. We also get to see Tom in a suit. Oh. And Lorelai's even like, oh, I've never seen you in a suit. He's like, really? Because I'm sort of a suit guy. Which is like, yeah, I guess we only see him working. <laughs> he might wear suits all the time. I was hoping he'd be there. I don't remember if he was on the list when they were saying all the guests at the top. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, he better be there. He did so much work. There's also yeah. like emo Weasley twins there. Yeah, I don't know who those guys are. Some like goth band or something. I don't know. There's two guys are. with like dark, shaggy hair show up together. They're sitting at dinner together. Who are these people? With Tom. Yeah, I don't who are. They definitely don't seem like Tom's buds. Are those Michelle's weird. dogs? <laughs> yeah. They had some polyjuice potion. <laughs> Lorelai stops by Luke's table where he's staring at his salad because he's sitting with Babette and Miss Patty who are wearing some ill-fitting robes that may have slipped accidentally at some point. Yeah, Luke saw Babette's booby. Yeah, and so now he can't look up. It's pretty funny. But Luke and Lorelai, after they kind of joke about that, share a look and a smile here that definitely seems like this is an acknowledgement that we're dating. It's so long. Yeah. While they're doing that, Patty and Babette are talking about fish. Yeah. Like one of them says there's too much mercury in fish and the other one's like, for this fish, you'll eat the mercury. Yeah, Babette, yeah. And then when they're done staring at each other, Lorelai again bumps into the waiter. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta have rule of threes. Gotta. Speaking of waiters, Suki is getting pissed. She tries to, like, coax Dosie into saying that, like, the waiter sucks. Because, of course, he's the one person who would shit on anybody. He needs another pen because he's written too many notes. Yeah, exactly. And so she's like, oh, that guy, he sucks, huh? And Dosie's like, no, he's been great. And she's like, come on. She's, like, <laughs> so annoying. She wants to fire somebody. Besides that, though, everything seems to be going great. So well that Lorelai even says to Michelle and Suki, like, this is going to work. So, of course, enter a problem. Jason Styles shows up. Jason says that the last two weeks have been like horrible for him. He's been staring at a wall and he wants to work things out between them. And he's willing to fight for their relationship. 
She tries to tell him that, like, he needs to leave. Like, she's like, I can't deal with this right now. Like, I have an inn full of guests. Like, I'm trying to run this. I just, like, I can't deal with this right now. It's a bad time. He insisted, like, they have to. They've got to work it out right now. She's like, I'll call you Monday. He's like, no, we have to do this. He refuses to leave. He tries to get a room, but there's no rooms available. So finally, he's like, all right, I'm just going to sit here. He just sits down in a chair in, like, the waiting room area when you first come in. He's like, I'll just sit here until you have a break or a moment free, and then, you know, we can talk this through. It's, like, super important to him. So Lorelai's now kind of like, uh, what am I going to do? I'm like dating Luke, but Jason is here. Uh. We talked about this a little. Like he, he is giving her space, but it's also probably very stressful for her to see that he's there and know she's going to have to deal with this and he won't leave. <laughs> like even though he's like, take your time. We'll talk when you're ready. Like she told him, I don't want to talk today. I'm doing no, this it's, right it's now. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I think him showing up is fine. And I do think his attitude in general is fine. Uh, there's some stuff we'll talk about, but like his, his attitude is essentially like, okay, I understand you're busy. I am willing to just like be cool and wait and like not complain or freak out until you're free. But like you said, it's also like you can wait. He says he doesn't want to wait because she'll talk herself out of trying. Right. Yeah. He's definitely not being a jerk other than he's maybe not considering the fact that him just being there is adding to her already stressful day. Yeah. But if you keep in mind that he probably thinks she's still single. Yeah. And so this may seem like, oh, maybe she'll be a little happy to see me. Once we work things out, she'll feel better. We also don't know if they've spoken since she walked out of that coffee shop. Right. They don't really give us any indication of that. Because, like, if they have and she's still been like, yeah, I don't want to be with you if you're suing my dad, then that's probably over. And he doesn't come in saying, by the way, I'm not going to sue your dad. Right. So, like, nothing's changed there. But, like... If they haven't talked, I can see him wanting more closure or at least the opportunity to, like, plead his case. I feel like this would be especially true if she was, like, ghosting him, like, not answering his phone calls. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't say that. You know, it's one thing to be like, you aren't answering my phone calls, so this is the last way I can reach you. Like Christopher. Yeah, exactly. But, like, she offers to call him, you know, so he's – it's tough because he's not being an asshole as far as, like, he's trying to be accommodating. He clearly does love her, but, like, this isn't the best, man. Meanwhile, Lulu gets very tired, so she wants to go to bed. That's so funny. She's like, Kirk, I'm getting tired. He's like, you are? Yeah. He's like, okay, I guess. Yep. So bummed that she's tired. So Kirk nervously agrees to go to bed, and then like he stands up slowly and then makes like a big obvious announcement to Luke that he's going to bed right now. Like nods at him suggestively. And then Beth's like, I think Kirk wants you to go upstairs and make love to him. That's <laughs> so funny. I mean- Watch it. That's what he said with his head. Yeah. I, I get why she would interpret it that way. Lorelai asks Rory to run home and grab some CDs in case any of the guests want to listen to something in their room. That seems weird to me. I've stayed at so many hotels. I've never yeah. gone to the front and been like, do you have any CDs I could listen to in my room? I agree. Like, do all the rooms have CD players? Exactly. That felt like a stretch for a reason to send Rory home. Like, they found a reason for Lorelai to go home later, which was Band-Aids. Like, couldn't Rory's have been Band-Aids? I guess they needed a reason for her to, like, be there for a while. I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. And also, like, the way she sort of does it when she goes, we'll get there. It's sort of like, what? Also, they mentioned that six servers quit because of Michelle. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know if that was serious or not, if it was a joke. I think it was meant to be serious. Yeah. So now they have to hire a bunch of new people anyway. Right. So Rory goes home to get the CDs. Lorelai goes to Jason and, like, gives him something to eat. She's like, you obviously are hungry. Eat. Please go home. He's like, no, I fight for something that's worth fighting for. But Luke notices them talking. And Babette mentions that that's Jason Stiles, the guy that Lorelai's been dating for the last six months. 
But Bette tells Luke, like, the entire story of their relationship. Like, how they hid it from their parents and how he's suing the dad. Like, just tells them, like, everything that happened. And it's kind of funny because then she's like, you know, if you want to know more, I can ask Miss Patty. She knows things before everyone else because her phone line picks up other people's (laughs) conversations. Fun detail. Yeah. But Bette kind of indicates, like, they might still be together because he's here. I don't know. Right. Well, she says they break up, but, like, he's here, so maybe they're together. Uh, then Emily bursts in, angry as all hell at Lorelai for putting her and Richard in the bungalow and serving them dinner in their room, i.e. forcing them to spend time together, never giving them an excuse to, like, go anywhere else. The bungalow is fine. It is weird that they don't get to come to dinner. Right. I feel like that's part of going to an inn, maybe, is, like, the being in the dining room. Yeah, I mean, I think Richard can't, like, walk to the inn and, like, sit in the sitting room and, like, read a newspaper without being like, wow, you, you're you not staying in your romantic bungalow that's, like, not near here? There's probably a desk to sit at there. Yeah, like, if we were staying at a place like this, I feel like probably some of the nights we'd want to have private dinner, but I feel like part of it's, like, the charm of eating at the restaurant. Right. Just, like, when Lorelai wants to be in the room with all the people instead of in the private room with Jason. Right. Lorelai asks, like, what's wrong? Are you guys fighting? And she says it in a very, like, I know what's going on thing. And Emily finally just, like, calls her out, saying she knows that Lorelai knows that they're separated. Lorelai defends herself, saying that, like, well, since you didn't want me to know, I was pretending not to know. But I think Emily is, like, 100% right here because she's, like, you didn't need to, like, set this up since you did know. And I think she's right. You know what I mean? Like, if I knew that a couple was fighting and I'm, like, well, they don't want me to know, I would still, like, try to... figure out something where I'm not, like, forcing them together. Yeah. It's weird because she probably did want them there. Yeah. But if they're not going to tell her what she's supposed to do, invite them separately? Well, she can invite them together and put them in a regular hotel room and invite them to dinner so they can talk to other people. Or just take her mom aside and be like, I I know what's up, mom. I want you to come. What's the deal? Do you guys want separate rooms? They maybe didn't have enough room to give them separate rooms, but... Right. She probably should have just addressed it to her mom. But it was also clear that Emily didn't want her to know. I know, but like her like making them eat dinner together is like, you didn't have to do that. No, I agree. You could have still pretended to be ignorant and had them at the, the dinner table, you know? Yeah, she took it a step too far. Richard comes in and he and Emily both notice Jason. So Richard's like, yeah, we're leaving. I already packed everything up. As they storm out, Jason asks, like, can I get their room? <laughs> then we cut to Rory at home getting CDs. This is kind of silly because she's like playing the cds i guess to sample them while she i don't understand this yeah like how long are you going to be doing this people might be demanding cds back at the end roy chop chop yeah it's like bedtime right now like people are either listening to their cds getting into bed or they're asleep right now (laughs) but also like i feel like my cds are generally either all in a case or they're in a case and there's some on a shelf i i kind of know what are on my cds i don't need to be like i gotta sample some of these to know which songs i should bring so yeah. it's, like, weird that she's, like, playing music and, like, gathering them up. But anyway, then Dean shows up. Dean goes on and on about how today was such a weird day. Huh? Today it was so weird, you know. And he wonders if Tom hadn't come in when he did that day at the end. Like, you know, they might have. And she cuts him off. She's just like, Dean, uh, Lindsay. And he's like, well, it's not working out with Lindsay. They aren't happy. And marrying her was a mistake. Things start heating up again between the two of them. Their breathing is, like, getting heavier, especially Dean's. Dean is almost, like, gonna burst, but I guess he's had, like, Rory blue balls for, like, two years now. Mm -hmm. God, he wants her so bad. Rory says they can see a counselor, that the first two years of marriage are the hardest. Not nearly as hard as Dean is right now, but hard. (laughs) Dean finally tells Rory, like, it's over. We both feel it. And she's like, you both do? Like, you and Lindsay? And then Dean says, yeah, me, pause, 
and Lindsay. Like, total fucking lie. I mean, it was just, like, clearly a fucking lie. Yeah. Yeah. He he kind of lies to Rory, I think. But, I mean, he's, like, almost shaking. He just, like, wants her so bad. I mean, Rory could have checked a little harder. <laughs> 2BH. I mean, I feel like a lot of, Well, let's talk about it. They start kissing. And so awkwardly. then they sort of, like... Yeah, awkwardly kissing and then sort of just, like, end up on the bed. But before we go any further, I just, like, I feel like... This is mostly on Dean. Well, I mean, it's bo- it's on both of them, but it's it's mostly on Dean because he's the one who's married. Yeah, and he's kind of giving her the wrong impression, but she could have said no at any point or asked for a bit more clarification on exactly how done their relationship is. Absolutely. But the only thing I would argue is that at this point in the show, I feel like that line he says, like, yeah, Ann Lindsay's like, we know he's lying, but... If we take him at his word, you and I don't know that things aren't over between him and Lindsay. We we don't. Yeah. We don't know that they haven't had that conversation. I think the you're right. The performance and the writing here is trying to tell us that yes. he's lying. But I don't know that Rory knows that. Exactly. And I feel like she, you know, for better or worse, is like looking for like the right. She just like wants him to say the words she needs to hear so she can do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's on her as far as she should have been like it. No, you're with Lindsay. But obviously, he's the one who's cheating on his wife. He's lying to her. He is by far the more guilty party. And maybe Lindsay is unhappy, but I don't know that they've had that conversation. I just like I, I just kind of hated Dean in this scene. Mm. I've never been a huge Dean fan. I feel like the listeners know that. But I just the scene was just like, dude, I, come on, man. You're lying to her face. <sighs> I mean, I get it. He's in love with Rory. And this is like... If we kiss now, then we can maybe be together. But kind of like what Jason said to Lorelai, like, if I delay this, maybe you'll talk yourself out of it. Yeah, yeah. So the only way I get my dream girl is if I just do this. That does not justify it at all. It's still totally wrong. I just am thinking that's maybe what Dean was thinking. I also want to point out that Dean came over with condoms. Unless Rory had some. Maybe she knew where some were. I don't know. We, I, I don't know that they used condoms. Yeah, we do. She said it was safe. But she like, says all those know. Trojan Man commercials paid off. This is later. Oh, you're but totally right. You're right. She does say this specifically the Trojan Man one. So Dean and Lindsay always carries a condom in his wallet, which seems unnecessary for a married man. It's possible Lorelai has some in her bathroom and Rory knew that. That's the only thing I was thinking is that it's maybe they have some at the house. Or Rory just has some in case. Jess pops in. <laughs> what strange word choice. <laughs> And actually, maybe now's a good time to talk about the title is Raincoats and Recipes. I, I was trying to look it up because, I mean, recipes could be because they're making food for the inn, but they don't really spend a lot of time talking about the food. Yeah. Other than the food's good. Everyone's eating the food. Recipes for disaster. <laughs> but raincoats is a is a term for condoms. Yeah. And there's like no rain in this episode. So I feel like that's what it's referencing. Yeah. So they're on the bed and then we cut away. No chance. That's a good thing. Back at the inn, pretty much everyone is asleep. Uh, Jason is still sitting. Luke comes over and introduces himself. Jason says that he's a friend of Lorelai's. He says that Lorelai has mentioned Luke before. Luke says it's nice to be mentioned. This is kind of interesting because Jason has not been mentioned to Luke. Yeah. She kept that relationship a secret to him. So it was kind of interesting, the choice of words there. But when Luke asks how they know each other and from where, Jason maybe gets a little defensive here because he sort of just blurts out, actually, we're dating. I don't know. It didn't seem very much like, fuck you, but it was like, I don't know. It seemed very abrupt. Yeah, it's hard to say. I don't necessarily get the impression that Jason felt threatened by Luke. Right. Or like Luke was trying to be like, why are you talking to my Lorelai so much? You know, like, I, right. I don't know that Jason senses it. Right. I wondered, 
because the rest of the conversation isn't like defensive, like we're dating. Get your hands off my lady. I wonder if that wasn't him just sort of like saying it to manifest it. Like, you know what I mean? He's like, no, we're dating. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. no, like we're going to make it work. Like we're dating. He says they hit a rough patch, but they're working through yeah. it when Luke's like, I yeah. thought you broke up. And then he gets up to go to the bathroom. But I mean, he did maybe drink a whole bottle of wine. So it might just be that he has to pee and isn't like, I got to get out of this conversation with this guy. Well, he's got all that mercury inside of him. He's going to get that out. He had pot roast. Oh, you're right. It didn't seem like he was upset with Luke, actually. Right. I feel like it wasn't. He, like, I think, you, I think you're right. He doesn't know that anything's going on with Luke. Well, Luke is upset. Uh, he runs into Lorelai and he's like, you know, I've been very clear with my intentions, taking you to the wedding, the movie, the flowers. He even says like, I've never bought anyone flowers ever, which is kind of like, really? You've had serious girlfriends and you've been married. You've never bought anyone flowers even once. But he's like, I did everything. I did everything the book said to do. She's like, book? Yeah. She also says like, you haven't been like super officially clear, but she does admit that like he has been clear enough. She does know what's going on. Well, she says, I don't know why I did any of this when it turns out you're taken. She's like, I'm not taken. He's like, I thought there was a moment at the festival. She's like, there was a moment at the festival. Then they pause for a minute and Luke goes to kiss her. And then she's like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Luke's like, will you just stand still? And then he kisses her and they stop. And Lorelai looks like frozen for a moment, then leans toward Luke. And then he's like, well, what are you doing? And she's like, will you just stand still? And then they kiss again. And then they're going to kiss a third time. But then a screaming naked Kirk just holding a pillow runs past them. Luke runs after him and says, I'll be right back. I'll, I'll explain later. Can we talk about this kiss for a second? Yeah, but they, people want us to. I don't like it. Okay. I like her and Luke together, but I felt like this was weird. Sure. It's clear they, they love each other. I wouldn't find with just like them kissing, but for this weird like, will you just stand still for a minute? It's like, one, he's mad at her for not standing still, which is like generally someone not standing still when you go to kiss them is a sign of not giving consent. Obviously, she's into it. It's just weird. And I don't understand where they go. It's just so unbelievable. And then she's like, will you stand still for a minute? It's like they just kissed and she's leaning in for another kiss. Why are you saying what are you doing? Yeah, it's a little confusing. The first one is fine, maybe. But the second one, I'm like, she's going to kiss you, man. It's definitely a choice. I wonder if it's like Lorelai's constantly on the go and like loud and talking. So maybe he's just like, stop it. We're doing this thing. It's going to be nice. Yeah. You know, it's just like a representation of, of their whole relationship. And, and he's sort of gruff. It sort of wouldn't super make sense for him to be, like, tender in this moment. But he's also been, you know, working on himself for the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> for the whole episode, yeah. I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying. And I, that crossed my mind, too, that it is a little aggressive. And you're right. Him asking her what's going on is maybe not normal. He'd just be like, yes, please, more kiss. Yeah, I don't mean this like, oh, my God, what a monster he's being. I didn't mean it like that. It just felt like this weird, like, it didn't. It did not read as romantic to me. But it was still probably nice to see, right? Yeah, dude, they are great. That dance they had together at the wedding, that was great. Like, I like them together. I think they have chemistry, but I just didn't, I didn't like this kiss. I liked that they kissed. Yes, like, you're waiting for this moment, and it finally happened. It was honestly just like, will you just stand still for a minute? Fine, I will accept him doing that one. That's kind of romantic. But then her doing it back, I was like, why is he confused? I've said this three times, but it was that nonsensical. (laughs) This may be the last shot like this, this episode, but this episode does a ton of profile shots. Yeah, it does. Dean and Rory, when they're about to kiss earlier, I think Dean and Rory, when they do kiss in her bedroom, Lorelai and Emily, when they're fighting in the foyer, when Emily comes in, Tom kissing Babette. Well, Tom telling Dean to get back to work and stop kissing Rory. There might be other little ones, but those like very key moments were all shot like from the side of two people. 
And Jason is just maybe shitting this whole time. Like he's been gone a minute. There's a lot happening. <laughs> Honestly, huge shit. A lot happens while he's gone. He's probably looking for a CD to listen to while he dumps. And he's just <laughs> like, there's nothing in here. It's got to be. Then Lorelai runs home to grab some band-aids and a camera, specifically for Kirk. She needs a camera. She says, she's like talking a mile a minute, super excited to tell Rory what a crazy night she's having and what a crazy night Rory's missing when she catches a disheveled and heavily breathing Rory and Dean walking out of Rory's bedroom. Ooh. Yeah, Rory's all like, oh, Dean came over to borrow something. So unconvincingly. <laughs> Dean says like, thanks. Okay, I got to go. And then leaves with nothing in his hands, except for Rory's virginity. All over his hands. Oh, <laughs> Oh, man. I didn't mean for it to be gross. <laughs> well, it was. You're the one that put it in his hands. <laughs> yeah, but it was nice and, and, and beautiful, and you made it gross. Okay. Lorelai instantly, instantly knows what's going on. She just, like, walks over and looks into the room and sees the unmade bed. It's kind of like a cool tracking shot, honestly, of Lorelai when she goes to the bedroom. Yeah, and, and Faith and Buffy just made that bed. Yeah, I know. It's frustrating. <laughs> unmade beds. There's another connection. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Dean and Rory weren't even going to have a relationship, but Amy saw season four <laughs> finale of Buffy and was like, ooh, we need an unmade bed. <laughs> How could that happen? Yeah. How can we get that day? What circumstances can we create to have an unmade bed? And then Rory's like, I want to be a firefighter. And it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, Lorelai asks Rory, she's like, um, what did he borrow? And then Rory immediately drops the whole pretense. And she starts saying stuff like, I'm sorry I didn't talk to you about it before I did it. I know that was like what I promised. That was the deal. And this is referring to when she was with Jess and she was saying that she might have sex with Jess at some point. And Lorelai's like, can you just tell me before you do it? So obviously she knows in that moment that she had sex with Dean, like it's confirmed. Rory goes on to say stuff like, you know, and we were safe. And isn't Lorelai happy that her first time was with Dean, someone who's good and who really loves her, a.k.a. not Jess? Lorelai is just like, he's married. And she just shakes her head at like all Rory's justifications. Lorelai's like, you of all people, like the list maker, the one that plans everything, like makes pros, cons lists and everything. You didn't bother to discuss like if his relationship, like what is happening with him? Does Lindsay know that it's over before you did this? Like, did, is the divorce happening? Like Rory doesn't have answers to any of these questions. Is he moved out yet? Is he still wearing the ring? There's like a, kind of a gross part, not gross. It just felt gross where Rory's like, well, he took the ring off. Like it just, yeah. Yeah. Which just felt dirty. Yeah. Rory at some point says that this is her Dean. And then Laura's like, no, he's Lindsay's Dean. You're the other woman. Now, you had maybe seen this in like a meme or something, but you didn't yeah, know I did. when it was happening or who the other woman was. Exactly. So I had heard this line of dialogue and now I, all the pieces are together. Did you suspect it was the situation? That she slept with Dean? Yeah, I did because of the way the season was going. I didn't think she was going to sleep with them in the finale. I thought they might, like, kiss or something. I didn't know they were going to kiss genitals. <laughs> I mean, we didn't see it. They could have lied. <laughs> <laughs> They're just lying to their mom. No, we had sex. <laughs> she doesn't know we didn't. But, yeah, I mean, that, saying that you're the other woman is like, well, that probably doesn't feel great. And uh, Lorelai goes on to be like, you can't blame the wife for forcing the man to cheat. And that's what you were both doing. You were cheating. Rory tries to say that Lorelai, you know, she tries to throw in her face like, well, you slept with Christopher when he was engaged to Sherry and Sherry was true. pregnant. Well, I think they were engaged, but they were like essentially separated. I don't know if they were engaged. I, I think they were together. It was serious. Well, I mean, I don't think the show would make that up. But I don't think they were engaged. I don't think that was ever like announced until after they got back together. Maybe you're right. Because 
she was like out of town and Christopher is like, I'm going to leave her. It's a similar situation, actually, where he was deaning her. I mean, I think he was going to leave her, though. I mean, I, I think, think so, too. She, I think it was different than Dean because it was like she also thought it was over. Yes. I think things were bad with him and Sherry. And I think he was going to leave her. He just hadn't had that conversation yet. And I think she also wanted out. I don't think she was like, maybe we're going to fix it. Yes. Like, she also knew it was dead in the water. But also, Christopher did not know she was pregnant. Right. I'm almost positive they were not engaged. I think we find out they're engaged after he leaves Lorelai to go back to Sherry. So this just isn't a fair comparison. Lorelai kind of plays it off like, oh, Rory, you got me. She's like, I just because I made a mistake. But I'm like, no, Lorelai, don't let her say that's what happened. You didn't know she was pregnant for one. That's that's 100% true. Right. I, I totally agree with you that it's not fair. But I could also see Rory, a teen in this situation, like throwing this in her mom's face. But Lorelai did sleep with Christopher when he hadn't officially broken up with someone. But right. he was not married. So it's a big difference. Well, they continue to fight. Rory ends up just like walking outside, telling her mom that she hates her for ruining her first time. And she tries to call Dean, but then Lindsay answers. And that does not help her emotionally. So she just like hangs up. And then Rory just like collapses, crying in the yard. Then the Lala's start to fade in. And we see Lorelai's like legs as she like steps out in the patio behind Rory, who's crying. And then we fade to black. And are you fucking serious, Gilmore Girls? This is how we're ending the fucking season. Are you kidding? We're ending the season with Rory crying in the yard? No. More please. What happens? I don't know. More please. In fact, we're going to just, we're watching it after this. We just are. Yep. We just, we're going to watch it after this. What made you cry? It's sad. Rory's sad. But Rory did a bad thing. Rory made a huge mistake. Rory made a huge mistake. Dean's more at fault. Rory is not free, though. She she should not have done this. But I love Rory, and she is a good person at heart who's made a huge, huge mistake. But people make mistakes. And she's, like, hurt her mother. And she's also, I think, kind of hates herself now that she's thought about this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like she realizes when Lindsay answered the phone that, like, oh, mom's right. I'm the other woman. Right. It, we talked about this a bit. It, it is unfortunate that Lorelai had to react to her this way. But I don't know what the hell Lorelai was supposed to do besides what she did. Well, you also have to say Lorelai reacted in a way a real person would react. Like, Lorelai is just so shocked that she did this. And there's no way for Lorelai to spin that this is, like, okay. Yeah. And I feel like she's obviously upset, but the way she's talking to her daughter is, like, relatively calm. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, she's essentially just spelling it out like, you know, this is what just happened. And maybe like if Lorelai had been positive or if Lorelai hadn't caught her, this night would have been much better for Rory. Like her and Dean would yeah. have stayed cuddling. Yeah. She would have gone to sleep not telling her mom, just remembering how nice of a time she had with Dean. Yeah. But tomorrow she's going to have to deal with this. Yeah. So yeah, whether yeah. Lorelai ruined it for her tonight or Lindsay comes over and punches her tomorrow. Right. This moment isn't going to stay good because of the circumstances. Absolutely. So, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's maybe better that Lorelai was the first wake-up call. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think what's the sweetest is that they just had this huge fight, but Lorelai's still coming out there. The legs. I mean, I agree that that's sweet, but, like, I don't know that I cried because I saw her mom behind her. You cried because Rory cried? Yeah, I mean, she's devastated. But I guess maybe I cried, too, because, like, her mom loves her so much mm-hmm. that she's still going to be there for her. So, yeah, I guess... I mean, that was probably part of it. I don't know that I dissected my emotions to like every little segment of why I felt a certain way. Well, that's why we're here doing this podcast. I wanted to true. get you four seasons in so we could figure out what makes your emotions. And you're stick. an expert on it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's the episode. 
Did you think it was good? Because I did not. <laughs> you? Yes, I thought it was good. You Really? You paused it like 60% of the way through being like, just so you know, this episode's great so far. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really remember this episode except like the last few scenes, the, the kiss with Luke and Lorelai and this whole last sequence. I think I'd actually rewatch both of those moments in the last few months or so. So the rest of the episode was just like delightful and hilarious yeah. and cute. Such a good town episode. Kirk's so funny. Yep, totally. But when you were like, this episode's so good so far, I was like, dude, we haven't even gotten to like the last 10 minutes where all this shit goes down. Yeah. You kept saying that. I was like, what? I mean, you kind of knew what was going to happen as far as like something with Dean. I didn't know. I mean, I, I assumed there'd be a fight between Jason and Luke. Tune in the next episode, I imagine. If Jason ever comes out of the bathroom. He just is dead in there. What an interesting storyline conclusion. It would be easy. So yeah, it, it was great. Those two moments of the... I mean, it's obviously Rory's has such mixed emotions attached to it, but like it's such a good back and forth with her and Lorelai. Intense emotional drama and like, oh, where, where does this go from here? Yeah. Luke and Lorelai was such a nice release, even though we, we said the kiss was maybe a little weird. Dean had a nice release. I mean, there's just so <laughs> many... And yeah, so many good jokes. Babette, Kirk. Yeah, I, I said this already, but honestly, it's just like every single line Kirk had was gold. I feel like he generally is very funny, but like this episode was just like every line of dialogue you had is funny. Did you like him running out after their kiss? Yeah. Mostly I just like Luke being like, I gotta go deal with this. I promised I would, yeah. Yeah. I'll explain later. An exasperated Luke looking out for Kirk is like one of my favorite things. So, Brian, which episode do you think was better? I mean, Gilmore Girls was better. It was still a fun, good Buffy, but this Gilmore Girls was, like, one of the best ones. It's rated the highest on IMDb. Yeah, I mean, it was great. And I agree. I think Gilmore was better, but Buffy was definitely very good. Yeah. I'm interested to see how the season finales for the next season compare. Since I didn't really remember most of the Gilmore episode, after we watched Buffy, it wasn't like, well, it won't be Buffy, because I didn't... Maybe the first half of Gilmore was terrible, but it wasn't. It, right. it was all almost no, perfect. No, it was... Almost perfect, honestly. Just from start to finish, it was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, it was definitely Gilmore. Yeah, definitely definitely Gilmore over here. But Buffy was so good. I, I enjoyed it. It was a fun way to end the season. Yeah. Um, also, I'm sure you caught this, that I called the episode cheesy because the cheese guy. Last week? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, next week, we won't be watching any episodes. Oh, my God. Instead, we'll be talking about season four as a whole. I've told you this, Brian. Yeah, I know. I just want to watch. We won't be watching episodes, but we will be counting down our favorite moments from season four. Maybe we'll point out a couple of our least favorites, and we'll reveal our favorite episodes of the season. Yeah, and we'll reveal our rankings, which show we thought had the better season four overall. It's very close. I'll tell you that. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the season finales. What do you guys think the dreams meant? Yeah, break it down for us. We accept yeah. comments of all sizes. That's it. Just break the dreams <laughs> down for us. But send it to me, because Stacey, if it's prophetic, I, I don't want Stacey to know. Oh, yeah. If you really, really want to break down the dreams, I would say email us. Brian and Stacey reviews at gmail.com. Brian with a Y, Stacey with an EY. And make the subject, like, spoilers for Buffy. Because I get the emails, but if it says spoilers, I'll just forward it to Brian and not read it. And he can tell me the information I need. Yeah. Also answer our Gilmore questions. <laughs> Are Kirk's dreams prophetic? <laughs> He's seeing season five of Buffy, the events. He's like, it's got to be stopped. There's Russians? So many Russians. 
What did you think of Luke and Lorelai's kiss? Did you love it? The CDs thing was weird, right? Yeah, did that make any sense to you guys? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or, like we said, send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. Brian with a Y, Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacy, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live streamed watch parties at Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And for more non-podcast comedy content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description and in our social media bios. And don't forget to buy wine from wink.com using our promo code Gilmore Slayer. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. All right, Brian, we got to go make our list of our favorite and least favorite things so we can watch season five. Yeah, I just, I feel like if Tom hadn't showed up. You would have kissed Rory? I would have kissed Rory, man. I was so close to kissing Rory, but she kept moving. She wouldn't stand still. (laughs) 